Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove City College presents Liberty Mail with the Student Fellows of Faith and Freedom. Welcome back to Liberty Mail. This is Libby Krieger coming to you from the underground studio here at Grove City College, put on by the Institute for Faith and Freedom. We have no Aaron Jenks today, but instead we have a special guest, Luke Hassinger. Thank you so much for being here today, Luke. Thank you for having me. This is this is this is going to be fun. It's going to be great. So Luke is a senior econ major at Grove City College, and first question here today is: Is economics or economics? What is the correct way to say it? That differs in the economics field. So I just, I guess mm. I said what my, my preference is on it. I say economics, um, but some individuals and, uh, you know, say economics. I think they're the same thing. Okay, so expert opinion here today is economics, but you could do it if you want to be wrong and say economics. Exactly. <laughs> it's potato, potato. Okay, great. So getting more into it, uh, you have some really interesting research here on libertarian paternalism. So that might sound like an oxymoron at first, but can you kind of give an overview of what that is, um, what you postulate, and why it's not an oxymoron? Yeah, of course. Um, well, first off, again, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Glad, glad you could be here. Um, I'm glad I have this platform to share the work that I've been doing over the past semester. So um, this this should be fun. I guess as a disclaimer, though, I am uh, far under far under uh, educated on this idea um, and have under under uh, achieved this uh, ten thousand. So far 000. more educated than I am on this. I'll tell that, you that. Yeah, <laughs> potentially. Yes. Yeah. So um, so. Basically, what libertarian paternalism is, is an offshoot of behavioral economics. Uh, and behavioral economics is this connection between uh, psychology and uh, economic principles. Uh, and a lot of people might say, well, isn't psychology already deeply rooted in economics? Yes, but uh, it, it becomes more in the applied sector. So, um, so libertarian paternalism basically takes this idea that humans don't always act optimally or rationally. And... That needs to be, uh, you know, th like thunk about when uh, choice architects or people in policymaking responsibilities are actually making these decisions. So it's almost like connecting how humans operate and understanding that into um, a, a mass scale of economic theory. I exactly. Okay. And that does create challenges um, because controlling uh, a lot of people or understanding the differences in every person is very difficult, especially mm -hmm. when you're dealing with a whole world population. But the beauty of libertarian paternalism is that it can be applied both in the public and private sector. Mm -hmm. um, so really, really what behavioral economics and libertarian paternalism is trying to do is create uh, – it's almost opening up the field for what they call nudges. Mm -hmm. And nudges are the ability for a choice architect or someone that are making decisions to change the environment that people are making decisions in. Not changing the choices, but changing the environment. And that's the important part. And that's where a lot of my research comes in. Okay, great. So I'd like to start with a, a real life example. I know one that is really commonly used is the lunchroom example. Yeah. Um, and I know you've talked about that a little bit. So could you just explain that to give us a, a very tangible real life example? Of course, yeah. So Richard Thaler, uh, the kind of founder or uh, leading uh, leading mind, leading in, mind in the behavioral economics uh, literature, uh, speaks his first chapter of his book, Nudge, which is a great book. I encourage you to take a look at it at some point um, with this, this story about a lunchroom. So uh, Richard Thaler talks about um, this individual that works in a school and she's teamed up with a leading uh, MBA student at a local college. 
Um, and their, their job is to basically change the lunchroom without changing the choices that are given to the students. Mm. So one of the things that, you know, this, this lady is forced with is three basic, basic decisions. Those aren't very important, but some of them are, do I arrange the food in an order that will, um, you know, benefit me, benefit the other person, or possibly benefit a third party? Mm. And a third party being a company, maybe some kind of incentive structure could be created. But what Thaler is, is trying to say is that with just looking at this as simple a situation as a lunchroom, when you change the environment, when people make decisions, the decisions often are going to change. Mm. And that's a power for, could be for good or for bad. And yeah. I think that's what he opens up with. And I think this is where liber- libertarian paternalism gets its strength is the fact that we are able to nudge human beings in a certain way by changing the environment rather than the choice structure that they have. So it's almost like in the lunchroom, she has the option to put either the fruit first yep. or the dessert. And that will dictate... No, it doesn't take away the choice, but it kind of guides a person just in knowing how psychology works. What you see first, you're more likely to go for. Um, And I think that's really interesting because one of the the misconceptions that you have here in your notes um, and a premise that for libertarian paternalism is that there's no really neutral way of orienting things. Um, And so once we understand that any way that we um, design a choice, there's always going to be a nudge in a certain direction. So it's understanding that and then going from there and trying to see how we can best orient the choice in a way that can pro- have human flourishing. Is that kind of the goal? Yeah. And I think, and you have exactly, you have it correct in, in assuming that. And that's the perfect layout that Thaler kind of lays out in his first chapter. Um, and like, like I said earlier, this is an opportunity for gains, but it's also an opportunity for a lot of destruction. Mm. Um, and destruction in a way that it, humans are uh, – a, their, their decisions are able to be manipulated in a way. Mm. And the libertarian paternalism part, a lot of people get the word paternalism wrong. They think it's control, but it's actually fatherly. So mm. when you combine this idea of libertarian, which is basically in a way is added to – uh, understand that there's a freedom of choice, and this paternal paternalism aspect is the uh, talking more about leading people in a good or welfare promoting direction. So, as a father, you you can't to some some degree you can make your kids not do something, but mm-hmm. it's more it's more about uh, you know pushing them in the right direction. Yeah, and you have their best interest in mind. That's exactly right. Mm. And another is, is this another example um, that I I think we read in my poli sci class actually mm-hmm. nudged by Thaler. Um, whenever you're looking at like organ donations and signing up for that, you can either have the system opt in yep. or opt out, um, and just the status quo there dictates kind of what people are more likely to choose. If they really feel passionate about it, they'll likely do that either way. Um, but lots of times people will just stick with the status quo because that's easier. Um, is that like another real life example? Yeah, that's a really good example of a public application of mm. a nudge. Um, so that's known as defaulting. Um, okay. So uh, when, when individuals are given the opportunity to sign up for, uh, for organ donation when they get their license, uh, these opt-in systems are created to uh, trigger a certain heuristic, which a heuristic is basically uh, a short shortcoming of the brain to some extent in decision-making mm-hmm. uh, with, with using a lack of information. So the brain sometimes acts without having uh, optimization full or full information, and that's what heuristics basically studies. Wow. So 
looking at this theory writ large, what is it the alternative to? Is that more Austrian economics? Is that free market? And what's the difference between those two? Well, I think a lot of my argument that I end up concluding in my paper is that there is actually a lot of compatibility between Austrian policymaking and the policymaking strategy that's laid out in mm-hmm. libertarian paternalism. While there are still some inconsistencies in areas that I think probably can be tweaked or maybe aren't really uh, compatible, for the most part, they both try to uh, pursue the same thing, which is this freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. Where liberal paternalism maybe is different is that um, there's there's more of a nudge. There's more of a nudge involved. Yeah. Um, so I guess the so looking at them as very similar, the the alternative would actually just be more paternalistic or more control oriented mm-hmm. policy making strategies, such as regulations or bans on stuff. Uh, those are more uh, concrete examples of policymaking, and that would probably be the alternative to what libertarian paternalism would promote. Interesting. And you said that uh, with libertarian paternalism, maybe there's more of a nudge. But since we recognize there is no face-neutral way of doing it, isn't it almost just there uh, – the pure libertarian would almost argue you should just randomize it. Yep. So – it's either a random nudge or a nudge in someone's best interest, assuming the people designing the choice have the best interest in mind. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the uh, minor areas of libertarian paternalism that often comes under under charge is that mm-hmm. this idea that you know perfect people are not making the decisions in mm-hmm. people's best interest. Um, they can try, and that's and that's part of that's what an entrepreneur does in the market is they they try to forecast what people's demands are, and sometimes they're wrong, but for the most part, uh, libertarian paternalism and nudges focus on the simplest things in the human condition, like p- making people help making people healthier mm. or or happier or wealthier. These are all things that, uh, in the simplest form, can be Everyone changed. Want. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, so I guess kind of going off of that, you said the biggest charge of it. Um, so if we understand the premise is that humans don't act fully rationally, mm-hmm. how can we put other humans in charge who also cannot act fully rationally in, in nudging people in the right direction? And who's to say what – I guess you kind of uh, answered that last part, who can say what's the right direction because it's focusing on the smaller things. But if we also have an understanding of human nature in the sense that once power is given, it's rarely – given back mm-hmm. um, and power corrupts, how, how can we be confident that once this more power is given to them to decide what is in the best interest, how can we be, be confident in that, I guess? Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think th- that's, that's one of the biggest issues with libertarian paternalism, especially in my research, is that you're, again, handing off the decision-making to someone that can be irrational or unoptimized. Mm. Um, but I think an important thing to recognize is um, there, the, the human brain is filled with biases and things that cloud our, our judgment. And Adam Smith talks about this in his first, uh, first publication, A Theory of Moral Sentiments, is that he talks about this uh, idea of an impartial spectator. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think while people think they have their best interest in their mind, they don't. Some, so what I'm saying is a third party sometimes can do a better job of looking at your situation. Unbiased. An unbiased look mm-hmm. at your – and having more perspective and able to – and looking past those uh, short-term biases or the status quo bias that we talked about earlier and, uh, you know, looking past that and creating optimized solutions to, to fix those or to counteract them. 
Interesting. Um, I know whenever I was listening to another podcast on this topic, just mm-hmm. trying to understand it more, one of the arguments, um, not against it, but against it in the public sphere was if if we have this in the private sphere, um, people, individuals can still choose to work for a company that maybe has more libertarian paternalistic behaviors um, and tendencies. Uh, so you're still allowing that choice, but not implementing it into the public sphere. What What's the argument for putting it in the public sphere? Um, so that's a good question. I think I so a lot of my research was based in the private sector. Okay. okay. Um, but I think why a good argument for it in the public the public sector would be a lot of you know libertarians and uh, conservatives alike like to limit government, and I think Thaler's argument is a perfect example of a movement towards giving people more freedom to choose um, and also just fulfilling people's wellness a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, so on, on a big scale, while it has its challenges, I think this is a super, super interesting alternative to the current policymaking strategy we have uh, where it focuses more on control, regulation, and open it more into a, a, f- a freedom-based system and that focuses less on big government but better governance. Mm-hmm. So is that your basically your conclusion of your research is that it doesn't have to necessarily go to be a big government approach like maybe a lot of libertarians would originally see this idea as being but just better governance in general? Yeah, exactly. I think better governance is in Thaler Thaler quotes that like almost exactly in okay. his uh his kind of the last paragraph going into the book is we're, we're not for uh, big government. We're for better governance. And this is libertarian paternalism is not a conservative idea or a liberal idea. Mm. It, it should be something that can be you know, brought on by both. Um, so and I think both ideas and both political parties kind of have their uh, own mental biases that prevent them from instituting stuff like this mm-hmm. or instituting policies that are aligned with the principles. But Thaler argues that, you know, these things should be looked past. Uh, for the well-being of humanity. Yeah, and so I know how you mentioned one of the biggest um, arguments against this is just if we have people in charge who don't have, who can't fully have our best interests in mind or if they're corrupt or something like that, um, it almost goes back to that understanding of of the republic itself only working for a moral and righteous people. Exactly. So if you have a moral people, this could actually work wonderfully. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just an interesting note, kind of connecting it to our system of government in general and the checks and balances um, you have there. Uh, is there another example with Obamacare? Is that something that was happening? Or is that not? Um, I could be amiss on that. Was uh, so Obamacare being a form of... Of paternalism, or they messed that up in some way? Um, yeah, so I think healthcare is one of these, an area that... Uh, this has been applied to a lot. Okay. I'm not as educated in that area. I think from the outside, what what is going on is where maybe a more paternalistic way of of uh, you know policymaking is what happened here. Mm. So uh, the administration possibly assumed that people's preferences aligned with what Obamacare provided, mm. while maybe that's not what people wanted. Okay, um, and. And that's another area where I think all all decision making, all policy making, has this uh, implication, which is when you are making a decision for someone else, you're assuming the preferences. And one thing that I was I, I've kind of come across in my research is that sometimes that even the own person doesn't know their preferences, because again, we're very short term, you know, short mm. 
short term oriented. Exactly. And, yeah. So, you know, so it's very difficult for someone, a policymaker to sit there and say, well, we're, we're trying to align our decisions best to, to, you know, their preferences. But if they're unknown or don't exist, it becomes very difficult. Hmm. And so you, you talk about the, the short term preferences and how just as human nature, we yeah. do think very short term. Um, and lots of us, it's hard to save, for example, money. Mm-hmm. Financials is the perfect example of long-term investments um, and how it's it's hard for a lot of people to make those choices in the here and now. Um, is there, so I know Richard Thaler talks about this example with the Swedish social security system. Mm-hmm. How, do you have any knowledge of, of that at all? Um, I think I have minimal knowledge. Okay. I, most of my research is focused more on the uh, 401k and mm-hmm. the retirement savings account. Um, which I think goes hand in hand with what this 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 Swedish account or the Swedish um, social, security, social, security, yeah. social security is talking about. Um, so I guess I can kind of give an yeah, outline. Yeah, go down of the four hundred one k. You know. Yeah. So uh, prior to nineteen eighty, I believe re- retirement uh, savings accounts that were given or offered by uh, you know your employer were very very unpopular. Um, they were still developing. A lot of people, you know, pensions and retirement programs were you know almost few and far between. And Thaler asked himself and another uh, behavioral economist came together and said, well, why is this happening? You know, employers are often matching these 401ks with, you know, safe harbor matches, which are basically uh, for a certain amount of money that you contribute to your retirement plan, a certain is matched by the company. So when you look at that, that's almost free money. I mean, you're obviously being incentivized to save into this retirement plan, but they're giving you money for doing that. Mm. And Thaler often asked, well, why are these very unpopular? And it is because of these, you know, the mental biases. So, um, you know, throughout his argument, he kind of, you know, frames it as a a story. So um, a lot of before 1980, a lot of these handbooks that were given to new hires were uh, extremely, uh, you know, they were they were very like thick and mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of information asymmetry. So people would or new employers would look at these and they would have no idea how to act. So this this almost too much information. Yeah, exactly. Information overload. And what Thaler uh, you know Thaler looks at this and says, well, psychology tells us that when humans are given a lot of decisions to make or a lot of information, we often have the bias to not do anything. Mm-hmm. And this is why retirement plans were you know under contributed to and. Enrollment numbers were way down. So, and out of this idea, he said, he said, well, an alternative would be to add a nudge. So, a nudge to get people to enroll in the plan because retirement is one of those things that's very, very important. And in the long run, it, it's very difficult, or in the short run, it's very difficult for people to understand that. But in the long run, people need to often look at it and say, well, now I'm glad I contributed because mm-hmm. now I, I have a safe retirement. Mm-hmm. So now where these, the nudges came in is uh, now it's it's defaulted. So when you enroll, when you get a, you are hired in a new place, a new place of employment, you are given the packet, but it, it clearly says at the top, if you don't do anything, if you don't sign your name, you're automatically being enrolled at this certain rate. And while a lot of, you know, behavioral economics is moving into what what the rate should be and mm-hmm. more into that, a, as a whole, this is a perfect example of people taking a situation that maybe 
uh, people were under-optimized in, and now they are like, recreating a situation or framing the situation to give people the best you know, benefit mm-hmm. from it, which is more retirement savings. Yeah, because I think you, you have to understand human nature and all this. Human psychology, exactly. human nature, it all goes together in how humans operate. Because, I mean, you can think of your own life. You're much more apt to do something if it's easy. Mm-hmm. And you, if you have to sign up for something um, by mailing something back, you're, you're less likely to do that. So understanding humans being lazy is just kind of in our nature. Exactly. Um, and the default choice and the status quo bias. I think it's so interesting that you've been able to, well, you and Thaler and yeah. Cass Sunstein, all these, exactly. all these great yeah. economic minds have been able to synthesize um, all these aspects of understanding humans mm-hmm. to try to orient it in the, the best way um, policy-wise, uh, for economics, for all of that. And I think it's something that conservatives, especially most of our listeners, are conservative. Um, And we should definitely give this more thought because I think lots of us immediately were like, free markets, Austrian economics, free markets is the end. Mm -hmm. And I think that has caused us a lot of issues as conservatives, um, especially those of us, I shouldn't say us with a libertarian bend because I don't think I have as much of a libertarian Mm -hmm. bend. Um, But those of us, those conservatives who do have that um, are very much free market as an end rather than the means to an end of human yep. flourishing. And I think we should consider this uh, as an alternative um, to human or an end uh, to human flourishing. Of course. Um, for example, I know big tech. Mm-hmm. I know this isn't poli- the politics isn't necessarily your area as much, um, but how much that has gotten conservatives who hold only to the free market in so much trouble um, arguing against the big tech issues because um, that has become almost a god in itself yep. is being free market, free market, free market. But if we actually understand that humans can't be fully rational, um, I think we'd come to a lot of different conclusions. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, rationally and optimally go hand in hand. And I think as you were talking, I just reminded myself of um, this idea that maybe libertarian paternalism isn't a perfect end either, and it's a per- it's not a perfect alternative, but it's a movement towards mm-hmm. a, a, a better alternative, which I think is what I see politics as, or the ideal in politics is the, the constant movement towards better mm-hmm. and freer ideas. Exactly. Um, and I think one one minor thing that I can add in there is that, you know, libertarian paternalism. My biggest issue with it is the fact that um, in order to design these um, uh, like nudges for people, you have to be ext- – it's very indiv- individualistic. So mm-hmm. in order to get information on individuals, privacy comes into a big play. And I think that's somewhere where libertarian paternalism is maybe moving that could be dangerous is mm-hmm. this uh, this creation of very individualistic policies that require a lot of information gathering from the government, okay. which could be – you can see this in big tech. And I talk about this a little bit in my paper is that, you know, it becomes a very large issue, and I can see why conservatives and you know people that just generally, you know, to freedom and exactly yeah. like their understand their private property and the mm. fact that you know the information that they have is theirs. It's starting to become infringed upon, and I think that's a mm. very dangerous direction that libertarian paternalism could be going. And we talked this at the beginning is that it's a power, but it's also, it can be very destructive. Yeah, and I think that's most things, though. Just exactly. understanding human nature, you can use these these tools for mm-hmm. good, or if you have bad intentions, you can use them for evil. So, exactly. Um, very interesting conversation, Luke. Thanks so much for being here today um, and educating me on libertarian paternalism. Yeah, of course. Definitely Thank something you so that much. I haven't learned too much about before. So thanks so much for being here. 
Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in today. Um, check us out on YouTube if you're watching this. Share it with your friends. Leave us a like. Subscribe. Hit the bell so you're notified whenever we post more content. And also listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. And please share. And we'll see you here next week for another episode of Liberty Mail. For more information on this podcast or other programs, please visit faithandfreedom.com.